Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. It is Friday, January the 25th, 2019. And we've got a great show lined up today. We're going to ha- it's just going to be a great day celebrating diversity within our community. Uh, we're going to start out uh, with a discussion on the Supreme Court decision on the transgender military ban. And I'm very happy that I've got uh, two transgender veterans joining me on the show, Jessica Bear and Taylor Miller, who are going to talk about the decision, its practical impact, and and really, you know, Donald Trump and Mike Pence, why do you care? My God, the insanity that you are putting our country through. But, uh, you know, we fight on, and we fight on for our transgender people. So we'll be listening to Jessica and Taylor first up. And then uh, after we finish with them, uh, we've got uh, the wonderful Snahal Desai coming from East West Players. If you're not familiar with East West Players, it's a, an arts organization here in Southern California which celebrates the culture and arts of our Asian communities, not only uh, Chinese and Japanese traditional Asian culture, but additionally Southeast Asia, India and, and Pakistan, and, uh, and of course Pacific Islander art as well. So uh, great to have Snahal Desai joining us after that. And then uh, at the end of our show, uh, two very uh, dear friends who are such leaders in their respective faith communities. Uh, Rabbi Denise Eger, pardon me, Rabbi Denise Eger from Temple Kolami, uh, coming out. You know, one of the first women rabbis in the country, and beyond that, she she leads uh, the rabbis. I think on the Western United States. I'll have to get that clarified by her, but she's quite a leader in the Jewish community. And uh, she's bringing, or I should say I invited, we both know her, Ani Zonavelt from Muslims for Progressive Values. And um, Ani has uh, been out there as a a woman, um, you know, very vocally speaking out on behalf of the Muslim community and taking on their version of the good old boy network because... If you know the teachings of the Quran, uh, or, the, or I should say maybe the dogma around it, there's not a whole lot of room for women, uh, much less LGBT. But notwithstanding that, it is the faith of her people and the faith of her uh, ancestors, and she adheres to it and defends it. And so uh, I guess I'll be the Catholic slash Episcopalian slash Christian point of view on that. Uh, while we have a, a Jew, a Muslim, and a Christian, you know, sitting in a studio, and it sounds like the opening to a great joke, but it won't be. It's going to be phenomenal, and to have a great discussion about the teachings of these great three great faiths and um, how just the presence of LGBT people for the past 50 plus years have uh, forced them all to uh, reconsider and reinterpret and reevaluate and move. And and they were not movable at one point. I'll tell you, when I came out in the 70s, none of them were movable. But uh, it appears that even just this week in the Beehive State, the great state of Utah, that uh, the Mormon Church has finally uh, 
this is going to sound so trivial, has finally relented and agreed that uh, LGBT people should be included in their hate crime statutes. I mean, it's like, oh, well, thank you. So you're going to at least give us that we shouldn't be violently murdered. Thank you for that. You know, it's a scrap. There's so much more beyond hate crimes legislation that's so last century. But you know what? It's forward motion. It's forward motion, and it appears that the elders of the uh, Latter-day Saints Church in Utah are removing their opposition, hopefully clearing the way for the state of Utah to add sexual orientation and gender identity to their hate crime statute. It's a start, kids. It's a start. It's a menial start, but let's face it. That's how we got started when we first started passing hate crimes legislation back in the 80s. It was the precursor. It was one of the stepping stones to move on into uh, discrimination in employment, housing, public accommodations, forward into serving the military, forward into marriage equality. You got to start somewhere. And you know what? They're starting somewhere in Utah. And I imagine at some point here, Alaska is going to join as well because uh, uh, a few weeks ago I had two of the LGBT legislators recently elected to uh, Alaska government. So... You know, change is happening. Something going on here all over this nation, all over the world. And so that will be the focus of our show uh, throughout this morning. So we're looking forward to having that and doing that. And I'm so glad that you're tuning in. And, uh, you know, I want to thank our listeners in our newest city uh, out in Boston this morning. Welcome, Boston. So glad to have you as part of the Channel Q family and joining us out there. Uh, as we continue to expand our reach all across the nation. So uh, it's going to be a great show. But you know what? Before uh, we get to our first guest after the commercial break, I just need to take a few minutes to talk about the current state of affairs here in the great old USA. Because uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, she has cleaned his clock, man. She has uh, pretty much laid out the law of the land. And I, I think Donald Trump does not know how to handle uh, an adversary who is smarter than him, more talented than him, knows the law better than him, knows the institutions better than him, and you know is not going to kowtow to him like former Speaker Paul Ryan. And to finally have one of the uh, th- three co-equal branches of government uh, standing its ground uh, is just a relief and, uh, do I dare say it, a joy to watch uh, Nancy Pelosi tell the president, no, you're not speaking in the people's house until you reopen the government. And, and watching all of the trauma and drama all over the country is 800,000 federal workers have not received a paycheck for the second time, uh, facing now eviction, uh, standing in food lines, Uh, unemployment offices, having to pick up Uber and Lyft shifts just to pay their bills and feed their children. And at the same time, this supposed medieval wall that's supposed to protect our country, uh, the institutions and and organizations and entities that we rely upon to actually protect the country are federal employees who are not getting paid and are deeply distracted by their own personal and our national financial affairs. And we are a nation at risk because of the ineptness and ignorance of the President of the United States, who thinks he's doing something to appease 30% of the people in this country at the expense of everybody else. So, LaGuardia, 
closing down slowly today. People not able to fly in and out. We're how many weeks away from the Oscars and the Super Bowl? Well, I'll tell you, people can't fly here for the Oscars. Well, that's just going to irritate a lot of mostly gay people, but people from all over the country. But you start to threaten the Super Bowl, people unable to fly into Atlanta, uh, and all of a sudden, a lot of people. I mean, Donald Trump, your poll numbers have never been lower. You need to get out of Foxlandia. You need to turn on some of the other media markets and see what's happening. Maybe read some of the other polls. You are slipping into more and more irrelevance. And Roger Stone was arrested this morning, one of the men in your inner circle. And the walls are closing in, Donald, from all sides. I I love that book, Everything Donald Trump Touches dies. It's so true. Your entire life, your business career, your family, your multiple wives, uh, your business relations, your bankrupt university, and now a nation in distress. You are the biggest aberration in the history of the United States of America. But you know what? We the people are a heck of a lot stronger and more resilient, and we've been through worse. And whether it's the transgender ban uh, that you're trying to impose now that we'll be talking up right after the commercial break, or whether it's the threat to our courts or our, ju- our judiciary, our Department of Justice, or even our FBI and CIA, which are under threat at the moment, we the people will respond forcefully. We did. In November, we gave the speaker's gavel to a woman who <laughs> looks you straight in the eye and tells you no for the first time. That must be a new experience for daddy's boy who's used to getting his way with just about everyone and everything. So uh, stay tuned, Donald. 2019, the subpoenas are going to start flying very, very soon from Congresswoman Maxine Waters and Congresswoman Adam Schiff as they hold their congressional hearings. Maybe it's just time, Donald, that yeah call it quits. After all, that's what you've done repeatedly throughout your entire life. All right, enough ramble for me for the opening ramble. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then right after that, be right up to talk about the Supreme Court decision on the transgender military ban. And I want to thank you all for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. As you all know, earlier this month, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, decided, well, they kind of uh, cut the pie both ways. They they decided to let the lower courts go ahead and adjudicate the issue of the transgender military ban. But in the meantime, they would allow the Trump administration to enforce the ban. And what impact does that have on our transgender service members? And uh, I don't know the answers to all that. And that's why I invited our next two guests to join us, uh, Jessica Baer and Taylor Miller, who are now in studio with us, uh, Jessica Taylor. Welcome. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, great to, yeah. great to have you both here. Great to be here. Jessica, why don't we start with you? Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your service in the U.S. military? Thank you. So I joined the U.S. military in 1994. I was a first a military police officer, and I later became a special agent. You know, back before we had Obamacare, there was only one employer in the nation that would take a pre-existing condition, and my spouse at the time became pregnant. We were starting a family, and 
right before my insurance kicked in for the job I was going to have. And so what do you do? There's a limited options. And I looked at the military service before. A lot of people have the transgender experience going to the military over two, twice the rate of, of other people to prove to themselves or to try to fix themselves. I grew up Mormon. And my 20s were God and country, two years Mormon mission and eight years country. <laughs> so that's how I started my life. Wow. Wow. And then how – so how long were you in the military? Eight years. Eight years. And that was the Army? Is that, it was, yeah. So if you ever watched NCIS on TV, there's oh. lots of spinoffs. I did that for the Army as a special agent. Oh, wow. Very, very cool. And Taylor, tell us a little bit about your service. Uh, okay. So I uh, graduated uh, from the Coast Guard Academy in 2012. So I went in uh, right out of high school whenever I was um, 18. I got my degree uh, there. It's just most people don't know what the Coast Guard Academy even exists. It's really small. Um, it's just like going to West Point or Annapolis, but for the Coast Guard. Um, when I graduated there, I went off to drive boats for the Coast Guard. I was stationed out of Guam, and then I um, moved back to the mainland, to the to the states, and uh, moved over to doing marine inspections for the Coast Guard. And I did that for um, about four years. And I just recently got out on Thursday. Wow. Well, thank you both for your your service to our country and being in the military. Maybe before we get into your personal stories, let's talk about the the impact of the Trump administration's policy of the discharge of transgender service members. What, what practical impact? What does that mean? Well, I think for the first thing off is you're trained in the military for integrity. That's the main thing. And the employer I'm at currently, they bring your authentic self to work. So my job every day was to enforce the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And every day I was violating Section 134 of that code by just being myself. So I had to be in the closet. This was before Don't Ask Tell was even repealed. And when I got out, I was an advocate in the Human Rights Campaign and other organizations to help repeal that. But these veterans, the, the service members, the ones who are there serving, now they have to hide part of themselves and to not have that core value, which is integrity. Mm. And if they don't hide it, they're out. Is that right? That's the... Good um, question, right? As, as of right now, um, the feedback that I've gotten from a few of my, uh, my good friends and mentors still in the service is those who have been out before this policy has come into effect um, will hopefully, um, that's, that's the key word there, hopefully be um, continued as a, a grandfathering in. If However, they came out during if they the came Obama out, regulations, right? If, yes, if they came out before this was uh, changed uh, or this new policy for the, uh, the ban was uh, passed through the um, Supreme Court. However, um, anybody who came into the service and uh, now wants to, you know, transition or is just coming out, if they have not, you know, gone through the the system, then they will not be allowed to transition, and they will need to continue to hide, or else they uh, can be and more than likely will be discharged. Wow, so it is another version of "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." It that. is, and then also, no, you can't join the service. If you are transgender and you wish to transition, you Correct. are not eligible to join either. Yeah. Senator Tammy Duckworth of Illinois had a great thing she said. Did you see what she said about the policy? Basically, when she was getting rescued, you know, bloodied and beaten on the battlefield, she didn't care whether somebody's sexual orientation, gender identity, or anything else. Lost both their legs in yeah, a helicopter yeah, crash. Yeah, yeah. All she cared about was getting care. Um, were, were you, either of you, were you, did you ever feel discrimination or hatred or violence while being in the military and being trans? Well, I hit it very well. <laughs> so, you know, you project this aura of strength to try to protect yourself. 
you know, I was in, we were, we were talking about testosterone-driven jobs as we were waiting in the green room, mm-hmm. and my job was to carry a badge and a gun, sometimes undercover, to do felony investigations and to go arrest people that had committed very serious crimes. And, but it also was a mixed, uh, you know, my f- first lieutenant in the military police corps was a woman. So was my first sergeant, and I worked with women who were special agents. So the jobs didn't matter what gender you were. It, it didn't matter, except you couldn't be transgender. And there's no logical reason for that. Other military services of our allies have been able to understand this and to handle it. You may have seen, like, Transmilitary it was a movie that came out recently, and there's a gentleman there named Logan who's an airman, and he loved to go to Afghanistan to the war zone because all the clothing is the same. It's just when you come back into the, you know, back to the bases where you're in dress uniform, do you wear gender-specific clothes? Otherwise, mm-hmm. you wear the same uniform. It doesn't matter what gender you are. And when he was in this combat zone, he could be his true self. He could be free. And he came out to his commanders. And then we went back to after the, the deployment to the combat zone. Then they started the process of administrative and people were less understanding. But he went out there and put his life on the line every day you know, in combat in Afghanistan. And, and that for him was a relief to be able to just be himself in that environment. Mm-hmm. Taylor, how about you? Um, for me, um, I would say I was actually very, very impressed with how uh, the Coast Guard as a whole um, handled my situation when I came out. Because I, I was the first one to transition within the Coast Guard, um, or at least to be able, to be allowed to. I'm sure that there were others before me who, you know, hit it very well and, um, you know, possibly began their transition um, in secret. However, um, I just kind of happened to transition at that time when it was allowed. Um, but I was really impressed. I, it might have been the fact that I was an officer, that, um, you know, some people were maybe a little bit um, intimidated to not say their true thoughts. Um, but I did have quite a few, um, you know, instances where it def- it definitely, um, it wasn't the, the happiest you know, times to be, you know, trans or just, or gay whenever, before I uh, transitioned, I was just perceived as, um, as gay, uh, as kind of a fallback because I was hiding being trans, but I wasn't hiding who I am. I was the same mannerism, same voice inflection, everything. Um, So I never came out, but people just assumed. And I definitely got, um, you know, some, discrimination or um, bad things said about me through maybe anonymous uh, surveys. Um, I was at one point um, actually compared to jihad. Um, I don't know how, but Mm. I was um, on one survey whenever I was stationed in Houston. Um, They mentioned, uh, you know, how the command is letting these, you know, LGBT blank blanks um, role, you know, something, something jihad. And I was just blown away. And I know it was pointed directly at me as the only out trans person in the room. You so. mentioned you've been passed over as well, right? For promotion. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was passed over, but that was before I had come out. So that was not, um, for being trans. So. Wow. Uh, do you think it may have been because we were perceived as being gay, perhaps? Or uh, you don't maybe. know. I mean, we don't know. Ben. Maybe. I mean, they they don't tell you why you get passed over. Exactly. So I, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't promoted, but I don't, you know, 
who knows why, really. Let's uh, we'll get and maybe we'll get into a little bit of misogyny in the military when we come back after the commercial break because that may be at the root of all this. But we got to take a quick break here, kids. We'll be back in a few minutes. We're talking to Jessica Bear and Taylor Miller, uh, transgender military veterans and service members, and uh, we'll see you after the break here on Channel Q. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Uh, song traveling through, uh, of course, a song about uh, the transgender community. Uh, we, uh, um, over the break here, we were talking in studio about trying to understand what the other side believes. Like, what, 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 what does the other side of this argument really believe to try to push a transgender ban? What, what do you to say? Well, you know, our mission is to, as you were saying, deploy, is to be able to go out and project force to, for national security reasons, or to defend. And being deployable was one of the big things that, when I was in the Army, is making sure our soldiers, ourselves, were were ready for deployment should that order come from above. And Taylor, you were talking about some of the deployability issues on the break that that you saw. Uh, Yes, well, um, not really issues, but issues that are perceived by, as you said, um, the other side. So um, the reasons why uh, this is, you know, being articulated as such a big deal, um, kind of in my opinion, is the deployability factor and this idea that if you are trans, you are not deployable or you will not be able to go and perform, you know, the mission in a battle zone or um, on a submarine or uh, a boat or helicopter whatever um and i think a lot of it comes from people don't really understand what the treatment and the process of transgender care is um i spoke with one person um at my high school 10-year reunion actually um who was uh, a veteran of the army and she mentioned that or she told me that you know she doesn't believe that i should be able to serve because um deployability factors and I asked her well what happened what would happen if I was to break both my legs or break my back in you know a tragic car accident well I wouldn't be able to deploy for probably a year year and a half does that mean that I should be you know discharged and I know we're you know on those things you know you're comparing apples to oranges there but that's the way I feel about this uh, ban and just by putting a blanket uh, non-deployable um status on us as trans service members, um, I believe is unfair and, you know, kind of a um, a curtain or a smoke screen as to, put to what the real reason is, which is they just don't want us to be serving. Yeah. Discomfort. It's their discomfort. Yeah, it's discomfort. And also like where he's going to go to the bathroom, where you're going to do it, where you're going to sleep, where you're going to shower. For myself, I was back in the gym at the full force two months after my final surgery. And it's something if you're motivated, if you are that type of person, which who would serve in the military and willing to raise your hand to the, uphold and defense of the Constitution, to take orders and to give your life if necessary, then, and you've gone through basic training, you've gone through advanced individual training, you've deployed in other situations, I'll try not, I won't swear, but why the heck not? Yeah. Are you able to, you know, as Taylor said, if there's an injury or some other medical condition that you need to get through temporarily, and then you get through the other side of it and you become a stronger 
person through that yeah. experience. And war and battle aren't confined to, to on hand-on-hand conflict anymore. Exactly, war and right. battle and conflict are on the internet, in technology and in intelligence, Absolutely. In all sorts of markets, uh, also terrorism. I think that's a great point that uh, people don't really understand who haven't been in the military or haven't served. Um, what the small percentage of people who are in the armed services who actually see combat are. You, um, there are so many MOSs, rates, specialties, um, who, frankly, they might not ever deploy overseas, or they just won't ever see combat. They are IT specialists. They are um, pay and personnel. I mean, from anything... Uh, of support wise etc so I think that again it's just trying to make excuses you know we're almost recycling the same arguments with African Americans the reason they couldn't be integrated is because of unit cohesion that whites wouldn't accept blacks with women it was about deployability now here we are having the same arguments just with a different uh, community exactly it's the same the same issues that people who want to keep whatever state not progress you know that our allies our NATO allies NATO is not obsolete that alliance despite is not, what Donald Trump thinks <laughs> I, you yeah. know we could go there <laughs> but you know the Israelis are a really hardcore fighting force they've been able to figure it out the British the French the Dutch that's right the Israelis have uh, transgender service members right for years and everyone for everyone's expected to serve yeah everyone's expected to compelled. serve compelled <laughs> compelled in Israel yeah exactly wow that is just amazing what about the younger members of the service you think it's a generational thing too or you think transphobia sort of cuts across all generations I think it's um, not only generational but it's also geographical um, I'm uh. I was born and raised in a small town in Texas, um, and you know uh, the vast majority in that area. I mean, it's just how you're raised and you know what you're taught. I mean, I think that the geographic locations are slowly um, becoming less and less uh, prevalent, based off of the abundance of resources of information through the internet and that kind of thing. So um, they're not completely molded, but. Uh, it's not just the generational gap. It is definitely from where people are located, whether you're, you know, from North Carolina. I mean, maybe you are, you know, one of, the, you know, arguably one of the most anti-trans states. Um, maybe, you know, you have an idea um, that was kind of instilled in you from a young age that you can't really help. Um, so hopefully we are out there and finally able to change those views. Mm. Like anything, it comes from fear. Bigotry comes from fear, fear from the unknown, fear what's going to happen to to you, your, your child, your whatever, or your country, but, you know, we're Americans. Yeah. And we're, we, we serve and willing to risk it all. If anybody's listening they want to get involved in fighting the transgender military ban, are there any websites or organizations or resources you would suggest people take a look at? So SDLN, the service service member legal defense network, yeah. actually helped start that way back in ninety three or ninety two. It was a long time ago. That's where I would start. So they're they're taking the point. HRC is somewhat involved too. Human rights campaign. So I'm co chair for the Los Angeles dinner. I've been involved in HRC for eleven years. Former uh, on the board of governors and such. So yeah, HRC is very involved in changing federal legislation. And also, there's other groups that are working in the court system. Like I got an update from the National Center for Lesbian Rights, uh, Shannon Bittner this week, uh, ACLU's working on it. There's a number of organizations. So the ban, I guess there's still one case in Maryland that still has an injunction, and the government has to get that injunction removed before it can actually go forward, because this Supreme Court decision only affected three of the four. 
So there's all sorts of legal fights that are still, and that's just, those cases are still going to go forward, just the Supreme Court removed the injunction on enforcing the Trump ban while they're in litigation. So there's a lot of things you can do to help work this in education, be an ally. And if a young trans person's listening to the show, would we caution? Keep doing uh, your push-ups. Keep Two doing your push-ups. <laughs> keep doing your push-ups. Keep staying physical fit. Prepare yourself. Study for your your tests. And and when Trump leaves the White House, then apply to be in the military? You, or Yeah, no, you have to make a personal decision whether you're going to stay in the closet or not. Hmm. Right, and, uh, you know, uh, Jessica and I were talking before um, about, you know, when we transitioned, you know, just a, just a little um, small, you know, kind of side discussion. And it was... Um, very, you know, quickly we both realized, you know, just how serious it is. Like, well, you know, it was that or, you know, the sad alternative and, you know. Suicide. Suicide, correct. And um, honestly, at the end of the day, um, even though I was serving, I also, I needed to be myself and I didn't want to be another statistic, um, not only within the LGBT community, but also within, you know, sadly, there's a high rate in the military. So um, to those uh, young kids, I would say, you know, at the end of the day, still be yourself and take care of you, um, despite, you know, your your best wishes. So, well, Taylor, Jessica, I want to thank you both, not only for your service in the military, but for being advocates and being out there. I know they're doing a documentary on your life, Jessica. I look forward to seeing it. And uh, thank you both. I, I mean, this has been an incredible segment. I'm just, my heart is full right now. I'm engaged. We got another fight, kids. All right, when we come back, we'll be talking to Snahal Desai from the East-West Players. And I hope you continue to tune in here on Sidebar with John Duran on Channel Q. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast uh listeners we uh, kids we've got uh snehal desai in the studio with us from east west players Welcome, Sale. Hi, John. Uh, good to have you here. Thanks for having me. For people who are listening and don't know, they're saying East-West Players. What is that? What is the East-West Players? East-West Players is the longest-running theater of color in the country and the largest producer of Asian-American artistic work. So we are an Asian-American theater company located in Los Angeles, and we've been around for 53 years. 53? Yeah. That is a long time. It for is an a long art- time. I, I'm chair of the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles, and we got 40 years, and I think that's a long time, but 53. Yeah. That that is amazing. It, um, we just celebrated our 50th, and it's it's been amazing. You know, it, particularly this past year for Asians in Hollywood.
COVID has kind of been a watershed year. Mm -hmm. um, and what I like to say is that we're at the intersection of art and social justice in terms of advocacy and visibility for the Asian American community. And when you say Asian, you don't mean uh, just Asia, but also Southeast Asia, the Pacific Islands, all the aspects of the culture, right? Yeah. Because you're, you're Indian. India, yes. India, right. And how long have you been the artistic director of East West Players? This is my third season. Wonderful. What do you look for? I mean, it's your job, I think, as the AD, the artistic director, to come up with the content, the theme, the artistic vision for East West Players. So what are you out there looking for when you're putting programming together? Uh, I think it's, it's a couple of different things. One is who are communities who have been marginalized, who haven't had a stage to tell their story? Um, and I think being a theater of color, it's about that inclusivity in terms of being open and welcoming those those communities to our stage. Um, the other thing that I'm really interested in looking forward is the cultural intersectionality so that, um, you know, when you walk around the streets of Los Angeles, you don't just see any one race of folks. You see a mix of folks and how much dialogue is actually happening between communities of color, particularly is something that I don't see reflected in the art. You, you know, mm -hmm. you don't often see that um, even this dialogue between you and I uh, on TV and film, let alone on stage. Um, and that's what our future is, and that's where we're kind of going as a society. So how can we delve into those conversations? Um, and then who are communities within the South Asia, uh, the Asian American diaspora who we haven't heard from in a while? So this season, um, we have told, we told Viet Gone in the fall, which is a hip-hop musical about Vietnamese refugees oh, cool. um, by Queen Nguyen. Right now, we have a world premiere that's about to open called Man of God, um, and it's inspired by a true story of four um, Korean girls from Orange County, um, who are Korean Christian and they go with their pastor on a trip to Thailand, a missionary trip, and they find something in the bathroom, in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> um, they find a video camera and oh, wow. it's been filming them. Oh, and wow. it takes these um, four women on a journey of, of discovery. It's also very timely in terms of Me Too and Time's Up. Um, for me, as I, I like to, to share that for me as a cisgendered male, the first time I read the play, it just opened my eyes as to what it is to be a woman on a day-to-day -day basis and how you are gazed at and looked at from the moment you walk outside your house um, to the moment you come back home. Yeah. You know, I think on the issue of racism, I think people sometimes don't think about or overlook or forget the history of racism in terms of the development of this country, like the anti-Chinese laws that were prevalent throughout the nation, including California. You know, the Chinese railroad, work, railroad workers who came here to help build the railways, but were not allowed to own land or even operate a business. Uh, I mean, that's part of our history here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even the, the, the more timely by the day is the internment of Japanese Americans. Yeah, Korematsu versus exactly. United States. Yeah. Exactly. So, and, and that is, I mean, when you look at the Muslim ban, when you look at right now the fight over the census and the citizenship question, this harkens directly back to what happened um, in, in the 40s around internment um, uh, with the Japanese American. It's the same dialogues. And I mean, and again, what the thing we forget about the internment was that these were it was the forced incarceration of U.S. citizens. Right. So it's we feel like as citizens, your rights are protected. And then we've seen 
blatant violations of that. Um, so last year we did the musical Allegiance with George Takei. Mm, um, I and, love him. and, you know, George was interned as a child. Yes. Um, and the, it, the musical is based on his life. And so the, the timeliness of those things. Um, and what's interesting is the, the year before that, we did another piece that was inspired by internment, but also connected the history of Native Americans to the history of Japanese Americans. Because um, a lot of those lands, the reservations, all of that is the same properties that are being turned over to different groups as they kind of push them out. Hmm. In the development of, of history, not just in this country, but around the world, I think religion plays a, a, a role in various cultures. I mean, certainly with Christianity and the Torah and Judaism and the Quran and the Muslim faith, uh, and they've all had proscriptions on homosexuality. I mean, there's no room for LGBT. Um, Asian culture, of course, in my, in my mind, correct me if I'm wrong, is primarily Buddhist and Hindu uh, are at the center of the culture. They don't have the prescriptions that the other major faiths do, right? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I'm not an expert, but I, as far as I know, um, you know, particularly with Hindu or Buddhist, it, it's just a different worldview. That's kind of first of where you have to start. East v. West. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, Western cycles of living uh, or a worldview of timeline is linear versus um, Eastern worldviews and religions are cyclical or circular, right? Mm -hmm. So there's beliefs in reincarnation, multiple lives. Uh, it's a different way of being and operating, and it's a, it's a belief towards spiritual enlightenment, Transcendence. right? Transcendence. Transcendence yeah. or moksha and um, dharma and those things, karma. And so um, that's what's interesting. And so a lot of these ancient religions, yes, there isn't often anything that's prescribed in some of the sacred texts against um, homosexuality because their views have been very open or it's about different, it's a different way of being in society um, <laughs> and creation. And then where a lot of the stuff has come in that's become uh attributed to those religions has often come through colonialism. All right, we're talking to Sneha Hall Desai from the East-West Players. We're going to take a short commercial break, and we'll be back in a few, kids, here on Sidebar with John Duran on Channel Q. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Thank you, Jason Yassine, for that. We're talking to Snehal Desai from East West Players, um, my guest. And Snehal, we were talking over the break, you being of Indian culture and being gay. Um, you wrote a, sh a show about that. What was the title of the show? Uh, it was called Finding Ways to Prove You're Not an Al-Qaeda Terrorist When You're Brown. <laughs> it's that subtle. Is, I like to say yeah, the humor is that, subtle. That is so funny. Yeah. Because I think, you know, because you are dark-skinned, people, I, maybe they I mean, they probably called you mine, my ethnicity, Latino. I'm sure you pay, people talking to you in Spanish all the time in Los Angeles, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think my eyes were first opened after I finished school. I acted for a short bit. And it was just, when you're brown, you're just washed into the sea of miscellaneous. So 
I, initially I'd be called in for Palestinian role, Israeli, Indian, Pakistani, um, Latino, Native American. Right. And you would tell folks the difference, and they'd be like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trying to erase thousands of years of yes, world history. that's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly it. That is so, so funny. Wow. Um, now, being Indian and being gay, did you feel any sort of cultural pressure to marry a woman, to have children? I mean, a lot of those pressures are present in Indian culture, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think those pressures are, are present in a kind of all cultures, and, and particularly there's, um, when you're a child of immigrants, there's a certain narrative or story that, you know, you're supposed to come here, you're supposed to do well in school, everyone wants you to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, and then yes, hopefully get married, have kids, um, and and because your parents have often given up so much to come here um, and, and make these journeys, you often feel wanting to make sure that they feel proud of you and that you're pleasing them. And so there's societal pressures, there's cultural pressures, there's pressures when um, you're raised as a child of immigrants as to how you should be. Um, and it's mainly comes out of you don't want to disappoint so that when you have to tell them you're gay that you may not be living this narrative. I mean, for me, I felt I always say I came out twice because I came out as gay, but I also came out as a theater maker. <laughs> so, uh, right, I came out that I'm an artist. So you were a I'm, triple disappointment. I was, yes, exactly, exactly. I was disappointing on all fronts right, um, right. In, in those ways. You know, the, the, the gay male community is known for having an incredible focus on sexual sexuality and sexual appetite. And there seems to be extremes in terms of, of the perception on Asians' culture. You know, there's either, I, I've seen it on Grindr and Scruff, no Asians, like a complete exclusion, mm -hmm. entire race. But on the other hand, if you've been to places like Thailand or other parts of the world where sexuality is open and celebrated, it's very different than those perceptions. What What is it like for you to navigate through the scary streets of West Hollywood <laughs> being an out? Uh, gay Indian. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot around the no fats, no femmes, no Asians conversation. I think for just because you are um, gay doesn't mean you can't be racist, right? Or right. LGBT right. doesn't mean you can't be racist. And for whatever reason, there has been an acceptance in kind of these blanket statements of um, I'm just not into that whole race. And, and what that all does is that for people of color or people who have been marginalized, the the thing that they most want is to be seen, right? And so when you do that, you are denying folks. It's the same of what we talk about colorblind versus color conscious casting. Because when you say you're casting something colorblind, you are again denying me of who, denying seeing me mm. as a whole person. Mm. And yeah. for a person of color, the race is the first thing that people see when we walk out on, on the street. Um, and it's the thing that whether we want to or not, we're going to end up having to speak about or it's going to be a part of our day and our daily life. And so to just deny a huge part of that way and say, I'm blind to it and that's equity is not right. Yeah. When people say to me, America is a great melting pot, I always think that's the wrong analogy. I say, no, it's a great big chopped salad. You got all the individual components in there who don't lose their uniqueness and yet are the chopped salad altogether. I don't know. Maybe melting pot sounds better than yeah, chopped salad. That's great. <laughs> yeah. As long as you don't say tossed salad. Ta say. No, I won't say tossed <laughs> <Great>. salad. <laughs> so, um, East West players, what have you got coming up for the upcoming season or year? So, as I mentioned, we have this comedic feminist thriller, uh, Man of God. Um, and so that is about to start previews next week. Um, and then uh, in later in the spring, we have our, our music. Musical, 
Um, so last year we had two big musicals. We had Allegiance with George Takei and the world premiere of Soft Power. Um, this spring, um, we will be having the musical Mamma Mia coming out. Oh, wow. And with an all-Asian cast? Yeah, it'll be diverse. Um, you know, the, the our season this year is called Culture Shock. Um, and so it's this idea, we've been doing three plays, and it's about the culture shock of when you come as a immigrant or a person of color in this country, and you have this idea of the American dream, and then it turns out to be something else. But there's also the culture shock of when you are a um, American or an Asian American, and you go abroad, what that perception is and how that changes. So, you know, even something as simple as Mamma Mia, which is about Asian in Greece or Americans in Greece it's that inter- interesting thing of when you say you talk about Americans and then suddenly a bunch of Asian Americans show up you're going to see a difference in the way that you are looked at mm. um, and then the other interesting thing I hear so often for um, Asian Americans or people of color is that when we go into a country where suddenly we're the majority how things change for us so the first time I went to India or recently when I went to India and there's suddenly a billion people that look like me right, right? I it's a different way of interacting and obviously as soon as you open your mouth people identify you as American right. uh, versus Indian first and that changes things um, and so I think it's a culture shock for both ways um, and that's what we've been exploring so I always ask my guests from Hollywood when you were a little tyke or a little dyke one of the two right when you were one of, and you saw somebody on stage or on screen or on television that you said I want to be that person who was that for you uh, the earliest I, I the earliest memory that I talk about in terms of stage is I remember seeing Cinderella at some point when I was really little and I, I did I didn't want to wear the ball gown I was fine but <laughs> I mean you, you can you me can now. also <laughs> but I it was the transformation it was the magic but actually the most affecting moment to me was after the show when you got to meet the actors mm. and I was like oh you live off that stage and you see them in you know in their regular clothes and I was like so your job is to wear these beautiful things and then go through this transformation and this journey every day um, and then change back into who you are and then live your life and that to me was just amazing being like five or six years old and seeing that you know I once read a really interesting story about the Disney villains that uh, a lot of LGBT people feel some familiarity with the Disney villains Cruella de Vil or, or the octopus woman from Little Mermaid Ursula uh, in many ways they, they were communicating or, or receiving messages from those villains. So I'm always curious about that. I'm sorry, it looks like Jason's telling us we need to wrap it up. Anything, le- closing remarks, people, you have a website people can visit? Yeah, folks should visit us at eastwestplayers.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, but I hope they will come out and check out the work that we are doing. All right, Snehal Desai, I hope you'll come back. We want to hear more about what's happening at East West Players in the future. Of course, thanks uh, for having me, John. All right, thanks for you all tuning in here on Sidebar with John Duran on Channel Q. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. 
Uh, well, kids, this next segment I'm sure I've been looking forward to all week because I've got a couple of superstars with me. I have Rabbi Denise Egger from Temple Kola Me. She and I have been friends decades, decades of time. Longtime leader in the LGBT and Jewish communities. And I've got Anise Zonafil from Muslims for Progressive Values, who is a friend to both of us, who's joined us for the conversation this morning. And we're having a coming out party today, kids, because my producer, Jason, uh, has come out to me not only is a straight male, which blew my socks off because he's adorable, <laughs> I presumed him to be gay, but also as a Muslim. So we mic'd you. You're on the mic, Jason. Yes, yes, I am here today. Jason, <laughs> welcome. He, I, thank you, I, thank you. I, I mic'd him up so he could join the conversation since he's also a Muslim and a heterosexual Muslim. Welcome whole... to my club, Jason. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Religion for sure is yeah. uh, on this Friday, holy yeah. day in the Muslim world, Friday night and Saturday in the Jewish world is our Sabbath, Sunday go. in the Christian world. So, yes. John, you we got all the bases I'm sorry, covered. I'm two days behind. No, we got all the bases covered today. Yeah, we, you know, I, I think for a lot of people, religion is both a source of comfort, but can also be a source of a great feeling oppressed, especially for LGBT people, but also for women and also for others. And both the Torah and the Quran and the New Testament all have prohibitions on homosexuality. But that doesn't seem to stop you two from teaching something different. Well, I think I think first of all, I think all human beings have n- needs to try and make sense and meaning of their life. And part of what religion is is to try and make meaning and sense of our lives and to give direction um, and to try and answer those spiritual calls that we all have, those yearnings that is basic part of human beings. When you look in the stars and the heavens and you see that kind of glorious magnificence, what, what's that about? And so I think that um, even for those of us that come from traditions where that have been historically uh, anti-LGBT or uh, suppressing women that um, we all we, we still still so much good written in our traditions that we can't just throw out everything on the other hand we also at least in Judaism and in particularly in reform Judaism we, we learn we say we continue to learn new things from uh, God and from the divine source of the universe and so uh, some things are outmoded and outdated and one of some of those are that men and women are equal in our uh, spiritual and religious obligations and that uh, LGBT people are completely loved and created by God and perfect in their way and so that's why uh, Reform Judaism has certainly been out there to uh, advocate for equality and civil rights for queer people. And Ani, Muslims for progressive values? Well, we, we undermine the traditional interpretations of what we say, the bastardization of, uh, of the Quran. Um, the truth of the matter is Prophet Muhammad never punished anyone for being homosexual. And as a matter of fact, he was actually, uh, he had mukanith. Um, a trans that took care of his wife and children in in his home. And so we have that heritage. And, and I think throughout history, what has happened is this misogyny and patriarchy has just taken over uh, from within Islam and reinterpreted after the death of Prophet Muhammad. Mm-hmm. And so our challenge is 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 undermining and reinterpreting and using and part in partnership with scholars of Islam in in a new understanding or go back going back to the roots rather than you know the new understanding of Islam and going back to the roots and hey hang on Prophet Muhammad never punished anyone for being homosexual there's no punishment for being homosexual in the Quran so mm-hmm. what the hell are we doing here mm-hmm. yeah. Jason so. 
Join the conversation. Well, How were you raised? Uh, tell us. Tell everybody. Well, you know, I was just raised a uh, Muslim family living out here in L.A. Um, nothing was ever, no values were forced upon me. It was just, you know, follow the religion and, you know, here it is for you. It's all laid out. And it just... When I started reading the Quran and getting into it, it just all made sense to me. And there was never anything in the Quran that said, oh, you, you're going to be persecuted because of this, or you look like that, or there was none of that in the Quran. And when I hear people, you know, talk about another person's, uh, you know, the way they look or, or whatnot, and uh, it just gets me upset because you're turning the language and you're changing the words in the Quran to what you believe to be uh, what it is, which it, it, it isn't. It, it's just not in there. You are my millennial inspiration for hope for a better world. You <laughs> yes. are. You but John, I think Thank that's you. true in Christianity. I mean, yeah. the, Jesus never said anything about Nothing. homosexuality. And in fact, and, he hung out with prostitutes and lepers. And, 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 and women, play, women play such an important role in the Jesus story. Mary, and Mary Magdalene. Magdalene and she was not, not only, a hooker or a whore. That's what the church made her well, out to be. Well, that's what they right? made her out to be. Again, she the suppression. She was a high priestess in early Christianity. Right. right, and in Judaism, you know, we we just read last week in the Torah the story of the parting of the Red Sea when the Israelites went forth out of Egypt, and you know, Miriam is Moses and Aaron's sister, and she, she was a she was as just as much a leader of the people in that exodus from slavery as her two brothers. Now she kind of got written out of that story, but that's again that patriarchy, which I don't think is actually religious as much as it was cultural, and no, totally. uh, all of our and all the three great religions yeah. of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's tribal, and so the the way we interpret the the practice of Islam today is is actually just tribal. Hmm. And um, it's it's really accentuated when you look at who were the occupiers of Islam right after Prophet Muhammad died. They were actually the Quraysh tribes. And the Quraysh tribes tried to kill Prophet Muhammad many times and failed. And what they did was they converted into Islam and they co-opted it from within. And so, and what I see... Uh, sadly, what I see now in Islam, the the Wahhabism or the Saudi interpretation of Islam, they are the new Qureshis. Mm. And so that's what they've done. And I'm trying to understand Sunni and Shiite. I read everything I can and I don't completely get it. I have to be honest. I read Sunni v. Shiite, Iraq versus Iran, and I, I look at it all and it's it's puzzling to me. It's just an interpretation of the religion. You know, some people view the religion one way, others view it another way. John, it's actually no different than if we were in the medieval Europe after, right after the Protestant Reformation and the ah, fights between yeah. Catholicism yeah. Mary, and Protestantism. Right, Elizabeth. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> those kinds of fights. It's no, it's no different. And in Judaism, we have those too, between Reformed Judaism and Orthodox Judaism. Uh, and we see it played out not only here in the North America, we see it played out in Europe, we see it played out strongly in Israel, in Israel because then there's yeah. a political component to it. But that's th- no different than different approaches, different interpretations. Um, and and every every religion has them. Buddhism has it. Hinduism has it. Every er, with their people, there's lots of opinions. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's true. Right. Yeah. I think that's true. I, I think that the, the the simple way to look at it actually is it's it is actually political division in Islam. The the Sunnis wanted uh, believe in a um, supposedly a democratic transition, and the Shia believe that the the next caretakers or leaders leader of Islam should have been through the bloodline. And that would have been Ali um, through through Prophet Muhammad's bloodline. So that's actually the difference. But even though the Sunni claims, oh, we're the the democratic 
self-representation. But it's really nonsense because what they did was even before Prophet Muhammad's body was buried, they were all figuring out amongst themselves who was going to be the next leader, right? So, oh, you're going to be the next one now, and I'll be the next one. So that's their version of democracy. (laughs) Well, you know, I was raised in 12 years of Catholic school, but now I'm an Episcopalian. But if I look at the history of the Anglican Church, why did it start? Because the Catholic Church wouldn't let Henry VIII get divorced. So he said, I am the head of the state. I am the head of the church. I'm the king. I'm the king. We're starting a new religion. Yeah, the new caliph. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, exactly. I can see the politics of it all. And and yet, uh, I know we've only got a minute here before I have to go to break, but and yet I know when I see a starry night or watch the moon over the ocean and I get the serenity and the tranquility of something greater than me That's being right. out and there. That is the That's call, it. the yearning right. for spiritual life that, yeah. that all of our faiths are trying to, um, I think, ultimately answer right. despite whatever minor things uh, and the universality of it right yes very very true alright we gotta go to commercial break we gotta come back and we're talking with Rabbi Denise Egger and Ani Zonenfeld from uh, Muslims for Progressive Values and my out heterosexual Muslim producer Jason Y <laughs> here on a new channel Q after the end of a good fight you deserve an ice cold reward Medela is the mark of a fighter you've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp refreshing taste because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. I, it's just giving me chills because I was in Israel a few years ago and I after that, I was in Israel by the, the Western Wall and I heard the Muslim call to prayer while I was watching a bar mitzvah going on at the same time, yeah. feet away. Right. And I thought, here we have these two major religions practicing their faith in peace without conflict in probably one of the most controversial cities in world history, Jerusalem. Yeah, if I can say something, I was in Israel last year and I was praying at the Al-Aqsa Mosque and then when I was out there, um, because we were outside, it was full inside, so I was outside and I heard church bells ring while we were praying and I was, that made me smile. Right, I think that's, I think that's what's so um, interesting about being there. I was I was just there in December, in the beginning of January, uh, both in Israel and on the West Bank, uh, in uh, Palestinian Authority. And but standing there, you get in that moment whether you're standing in the Western Wall Plaza or up on the Temple Mount near Al Aqsa and the Mosque of Omer, or you're sitting in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That that holy mix right. of so many voices. And you know we read the headlines and and they're troubling to us, no matter what your philosophy or theology. But when you're there in that moment and you can hear the church bells rings and you can hear the call to prayer and you can hear the chanting at the Western Wall, there's something that's very powerful about the commonality of it, I think. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the whole point, right? We're always looking for the divisiveness yeah. or the division, yeah. like right. Muslim versus Jew, yeah. like automatically. There's right. something going to happen there. <laughs> And I just worry that yeah, they're going to blow up? the world up. You know? <laughs> well, I, I think I see. If I think if Ani and I could yeah. sit and be in charge, it would be very different because we're very good friends and we do a lot of put the women in we charge. We do a That's lot of I work say. together. Yeah. And the truth is, whatever differences we have, they're minuscule to the things that we have in common as as progressive Jews, as progressive Muslims, um, and the work that we do together, and the common values that we share as the part of Abrahamic faith tradition. Right. There, that's a much stronger, 
I think, pull than whatever political differences we may have. But I guess we got to overcome misogyny, right? Because a lot the well, major religions yeah. all have a very strong opinions historically about right. women and women's role yeah. right. or non-role. Even at the Western Wall, men are on one right. side, yeah. women, women are on the, the other. other. That is that is given over to the Orthodox. And in fact, there's been a tremendous struggle by a group called Women of the Wall and Reform and Conservative Judaism to create sacred and equal space in that in that plaza. Yeah. Yeah. And and that separation or the barring of women at the wall is a new thing too. It's not Yeah, exactly. When in 1967 mm. yeah. when Israel was able to recapture the old city after a, a, a war, the 6-day war, right. um you know, and they in we can look at old pictures of Jews at the Western Wall uh, at that time. The, before that, men and women were just standing there together. So um, it's definitely a modern yeah. That's also our shared culture right. <laughs> issue. Right. <laughs> if I may, so we have that issue in the Muslim community, obviously, where the mosques are segregated. So a lot of the the mosque tradition is very orthodox in that sense, similar to Orthodox Judaism, and the struggle that we're doing. We're having is actually making Islam more egalitarian. That's why we have we promote women imams or LGBT folks to do to lead spiritual prayers and to do the azan, to do the khutbah, the sermons. It, it should be an egalitarian spiritual practice, and that's the the problem. Is it's become it's become the role of men, or the men have taken over, usurped the role for themselves, the power for themselves, and that's what we need to change and. That's the common denominator that we have, you know, between the progressives. No matter even the Episcopalianite Church, for me, is a good role model. Um, we're, we're there. So, I mean, yeah. we got women bishops and women yeah, clergy, sure. but you know, the Catholic Church, men only. Yeah, the right, Mormons, yeah. men only. Yeah, elders, right. and, and and you know, and you know, we Reform Judaism was first ordained women since 1972 here in North America, and the first woman was ordained in Germany pre world in the 1940s. Mm. Um, so. You know, liberal Judaism—that's been part of it—and also the also the welcoming of openly uh, queer and trans people uh, to the places of highest leadership. I, I just completed a couple years uh, as the president of all the Reform Rabbis yes. internationally. I was the first Which gay person, so incredible. it's not—it's not. You know, we, 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 we maybe we focus on the orthodoxies of all of our tradition, but what I think, John, is important for people to hear that the work like Ani's doing around the world, she's not just local in the West Coast, she's traveling all the time. I don't, Ani, where in the world are you when I talk, call her? Oh, I'm in Tunisia. Oh, I'm in Malaysia. Oh, you know, and, and the truth is, there is so much welcoming. Now, whether the Episcopalians, uh, in in the progressive Muslim movement, in the progressive Jewish world, there are so many progressive embracing, welcoming that are actually smashing the patriarchy uh, where we can hmm. and and do it actively. And I think that's something for your listeners to, to understand. They don't have to be outside of their faith tradition anymore. Important. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And and I, I have to say something that there was a documentary done about me um, and we, <laughs> believe it or not, KCET awarded us and because of that win, we are going to be screened at the Cannes Film Festival. What? Wow, congratulations. It's awesome. so insane because here is the story. I mean, I just started MPV because I wanted a community that was egalitarian, you know, in L.A. as an immigrant to the United States and to Los Angeles. And then it's just become something else. And so it, it, it's taken off to a whole different level where people, wherever they are, Muslims, are really, it, it really resonates, that egalitarian, the human rights, the universalist Islam, because that's how people 
feel about Islam. Muslims do. But it's hard to find that in the institutions and in the countries that they live in. Mm -hmm. So there is a real underground movement, a real push for a more egalitarian interpretation. I got a question for my little little millennial Muslim producer here. Well, hello. You ever feel you need to hide the fact that you're a Muslim from young people? Never. But, you know, back when 9-11 happened... Mm -hmm. There was some hostility I felt towards Muslims. And so I think during that time, I had to kind of take a step back and just, you know, unless somebody asked me, I was going to tell them. But other than that, I was going to keep a little quiet. Then later on, maybe five, ten years later, then I was like, okay, I think now we've we've moved on past it. (laughs) Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, in some quarters, you know, in some quarters that... Of the United States. In the United States, in some places, it's not safe. To be Jew. It's not even to be to Jew. I mean, (laughs) you know, I've been shocked at the, you know, the the rise in hate crimes uh, against both Muslims and Jews in L.A. County. We just had uh, Detective Orlando Martinez of the LAPD speak at Colomy this past week, and he's the head of the hate crimes division and talking about the rise of. religious hate crimes in LA city of LA and you know and so this is something the Islamophobia that's out there the anti-Semitism that's growing along with anti-LGBT um, Trumpism acts. yeah well I think a lot of it he's given permission he's given unfortunately permission for them to come out people yeah. you know and so you know this is another reason that we have to work together very strongly to combat those kind that Islamophobia the anti-Semitism the anti-queer action and hatred that's so focused we have a lot that we have to be together and hang together yeah. Yeah. I mean, you wanted to tell, but I don't, want, I don't want to forget, you have an event coming up you want to tell people about. What's the event? Yeah, it's our annual uh, human rights event. It's called Celebration of Life, and we basically highlight the lives of Muslims, uh, a human rights defender who have been jailed, tortured, or killed mm. for doing the progressive work that we do here, that we're talking about freely and safely here in the United States, mostly safely. And so we'll be highlighting um, the Iranian women who campaigned mm. to take off the hijab. Um, we'll be talking about and you know, promoting and celebrating the 16 Saudi women who are sitting in jail who have been advocating for basic women's rights and have been sexually assaulted and tortured. Um, we're going to be talking about this scholar of Islam from Sudan who was killed by the government of Sudan in the 80s for his reforming ideas of separation of religion and state, um, women's rights, LGBT rights. So... But uh, the best part of it is we're going to be also awarding a repre- uh, the president of Tunisia for his uh, phenomenal initiative um, on equal inheritance for women and men. And this is revolutionary. Yeah. But one of the com- commissions that he also put out was uh, the, the conclusion is that the decriminalization of homosexuality and the um, doing away of uh, capital punishment in Tunisia. So it's revolutionary. So we're awarding him. Muslims for progressive values. Ani, thank you for coming on. Rabbi Temple Kolami, thank you for joining us. We're always us. happy I, to be with I you, John. I hope you both come back because I oh, so love this conversation. Invite us. We'd love <laughs> yeah. to be here You were here for my coming out party and my producer, Jason. <laughs> hey, Jason. Yeah. Well, welcome to our world. We need more of you, Jason, out there. <laughs> All right. We'll be back after the commercial break here on the new Channel Q. As we turn the corner into the new year, a lot of people are looking to get healthier. That includes Hero Bread who have just launched their new recipe using heart-healthy olive oil. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. 
all with no compromise on the taste, texture, and bready goodness you expect from your favorites. Now they're listening to their fans and updating their recipe with olive oil, an antioxidant-rich oil that's been shown to reduce cholesterol and minimize the risk of heart disease. Try it today with code HERO10 for 10% off your purchase at HERO.CO. That's code H-E-R-O-10 for 10% off at HERO.CO. Welcome back, kids. Wow, what an amazing uh, what an amazing morning we've had here on Sidebar. And uh, while we've been sitting here, breaking news, it, it appears that Donald Trump uh, has agreed to sign off on some stopgap funding to reopen the government immediately uh, without border wall money. Now, uh, okay, I guess I need to not be smug or not uh, not not treat this in a way other than to start by saying grateful that it's happened because so many people were being harmed. All those uh, 800,000 federal workers who will now get their back pay immediately and hopefully salvage their apartments and their mortgages and uh, can rest easy uh, and take the financial pressure off their backs. So for that, I am grateful. Uh, But, you knew there was a but coming, right? But... Uh, Mr. Trump, uh, if you had been sane from the beginning, this was a self-inflicted wound, sir, that you imposed on yourself and your party. You had the Senate and the House ready to go to pass a full government funding bill with bipartisan support. And you turned it about, you turned around because Rush Limbaugh and Ann Coulter were criticizing you for not sticking up for your wall, which is not practical. It's a medieval concept. It won't work in 2019 or in the future. Uh, border security, sure. Technology, helicopters, drones, uh, all sorts of ways to do border security other than thinking about the Great Wall of Texas. I mean, come on, man. It was a bad idea from the start. And if you don't see it's a bad idea, then I don't know what to say. Because you don't read briefing papers. We know that. You don't read any materials you're given. You're not uh, interested in studying world history or U.S. history, much less policy. Uh, You just go, according to you, by your gut. Well, your gut ended up harming hundreds of thousands of people this time. And fortunately, we had a really tough leader in Nancy Pelosi who just said no to the bad idea, no to the insanity, and stood ground for the uh, American principles of using intellect and reason rather than gut. So in, in that sense... The right side prevailed. The government's getting reopened. People are going to get their checks. And there's no wall. There's no wall. And now let's get back to running the greatest nation on earth, if we can, please. And, and Mr. Trump, this is not a reality show. This is reality. And I know on your reality show, although I never watched it, couldn't bring myself to ever watch Celebrity Apprentice, you know, I, I know you probably got used to just barking out commands and creating, you know, interesting dramatic scenes and and creating conflict where there wasn't one to make it something interesting for people to watch like a circus freak show. 
but this is the United States of America that you're toying with. And I don't want to play your game. And I know millions who don't want to play your game. We're just worried about the safety, security, and the prosperity and future of our country and where we fit in the world. And you've pretty much screwed it up. Not only the country, but our position in the world as well. So I have to go back to the point I raised at the beginning of the show that it's just time to resign, sir. You, you don't have what it takes to be a United States president. And even some of the worst in history, Calvin Coolidge or Hoover or some of the uh, – uh, Johnson, even some of the worst – presidents in United States history at least had some working knowledge of position papers and they read materials and they listened to opinions and when they were wrong they admitted it and they said that the buck stops here you said the buck stops everywhere can't even take accountability for your own actions well you don't need to because the rest of us here in the US of A we took notice and we took accountability and that's why your poll ratings today are at the lowest level Ever. And hopefully, having gone through this exercise of instability, the, the moderate Republicans, Mitt Romney and Marco Rubio and whatever's left of Lindsey Graham, who's been a complete and utter disappointment, whatever's left of Susan Collins uh, and the other uh, moderates in the Republican Party, you'll have the ability to find your footing in in reason and intellect and doing what's best for our people rather than what's best for the ego of a narcissistic, vulgar, vile ignoramus. Enough, enough, enough. We've had a wonderful morning. I want to thank all my guests for stopping by. We did everything from Judeo-Christian Islamic values to Southeast Asian arts uh, to the transgender military ban. And what a fascinating morning it's been. I so appreciate each and every one of my guests. I hope they all come back. I want to thank Jason Y for coming out as a Muslim and getting mic'd up for the first time in the history of Sidebar. And I hope he will continue to do it because he's a smart young millennial. Glad to have him here. We'll see you all next week, kids. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q.